Hey everyone, my name is Yaro, and you're listening to the Daydream Rose podcast. Thank you for joining me.、Um, it's good to share this episode today. I really feel as we're moving into spring, there's a sense of creative energy and beginning to process a little bit, at least, of what's happened in the pandemic so far. And I spoke to Dasili this time, who writes really beautiful zines and has so much to share about the process of starting a small press and sharing. Your feelings in the, with the world in a way that's a really beautiful but also boundaried. So, if you feel like you need some permission slips、um, that you can give yourself, this is going to be a great episode to listen to. Not a lot of updates from me. I'm just here enjoying spring and hanging with my dogs and healing my leg and feeling grumpy about not being able to hug all my friends. So, not much is new, I would say. But yeah, I'm offering a free workshop on web design on April 13th over at Yarrow Digital, and I've decided to offer free monthly workshops again. So if you're interested in those,、um, you can sign up for my newsletter. I'll send you upcoming dates, and you can also、um, submit questions if you, if you know that you can't make it live and you want them answered. I think that's all for me. I'm going to let you listen now. If you have any feedback, let us know. Check out the links.、Um, I'll be at the、um, an evening in the Butch Library evening with Darcy. And so, yeah, maybe some of you will want to come to that as well. So, I'm also linking to the link for the Glasgow Zine Fest.、Um, okay, thank you. Hi, everyone. I love it when interviews begin with giggles, which you know is often the case. But anyway, I'm speaking to Darcy Lee today, who's doing so many beautiful.、Um, Magical things. I've written, I've read all her zines over the years and really love them.、Um, they have a special place in my zine trunk. And I think we'll cover a lot of different things from DIY culture to writing zines and academia, as well as archiving feelings today. So I'm excited for that. Darcy, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Do you want to start by telling us what you do and what you're currently feeling excited about? Yes, well, I、um, make zines, as you said, that might make me a zinester.、Um, although, how zinesters identify is a whole debate.、Um, and I do that under the banner of a small press called Easter Road Press, which I run with,、um, well, my co publisher, Harry Josephine Giles, who's also my girlfriend and roommate.、Um, These zines are about all sorts of things, but often they're about butchness, bodies, queerness, fatness, how shit universities are, all sorts of things.、Um, and related to that project or, or that zine press,、um, I also run a archive called A Butch Archive, which is free and online and at butcharchive.com, where I gather and share. Things I have found in butch culture.、Um, let me think, what else do I do? Well, when I'm not making zines、um, or archiving butchness or talking about butchness in a range of different contexts, I'm also an academic,、um, just on the side. And、um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. 
cool. I was giggling about that, which you didn't hear and listeners didn't hear because I'm muting myself when I'm listening for the sound quality. But just to say, there's been giggling here. Thank you. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how Easter Road Press came to be? I imagine that there's people listening who might also want to start a small press and just feel a bit mystified about the whole thing. And maybe you can share some wisdom. Okay, so I will tell you the story of how it came to be, and then I will share some tips on how to do it. Um, so I guess two personal incidents began um, Easter Road Press. The first one was that Josie, that's Harry Josephine Giles, um, really wanted a stamp. So we <laughs> um, ordered a stamp. It was a stamp of a seagull eating some chips which is what seagulls do on Easter Road in Edinburgh, where we live. Um, and we started stamping things. And apparently all it takes to start a press is to buy a stamp and stamp things. Um, so that's the first <laughs> origin story <laughs> of Easter Road Press. Um, the second origin story is that I was having trouble sharing creative stuff publicly and just doing the creative stuff in the first place, finishing the creative stuff and then sharing it publicly. And Josie gave me this really incredible gift of just 24 hours of their life where they um, basically sat down with me and helped me finish a, a zine I was working on. Um, you know, they helped me typeset it and they provided affirmation when I needed it and made some suggestions about how to sell it and so on. And um, just gave me the sort of impetus that I needed to do that. And from that one zine, I, I just got that power somehow to finish and share my creative work. And um, it became the very first zine to be released by the press, um, which Josie and I you know, subsequently built in order to use our stamp. Um, in terms of how you do it, you know, um, it looks like the world is made up of all these, you know, serious institutions and that you need them or their legitimacy somehow to um, enable you or legitimize what you're doing. But I guess the, the very kind of point of zine culture and DIY culture in general is that you don't need any of those things. And so, you know, as I think I illustrated a little bit with the stamp example, we just needed to give ourselves legitimacy, you know? We just needed to say, this is our name and um, this is our press and we're writing it on stuff. And, you know, we get contacts from people in the world wanting to talk to the press, wanting to publish us. I put it on my CV that such and such is published with Easter Road Press. It's a press. What else is a press, you know? Um, we just kind of had to take the leap to legitimize our own work. Yeah, that's such a beautiful story. And I love the stamp. I always get really excited when I have posed with your little stamp on it. That is a really great day. And I also totally agree that, yeah, that we just have to give this kind of legis legitimization to ourselves and each other. And I'm so glad you did that. Which, which one was the first scene that you made? So the first scene was um, the first scene that went out in the world, which was by no means the first scene that I made, was um, 21 things I did when I was thin. Mm -hmm. 
um, which came out at the beginning of January 2019, so not that long ago. And I had to represent it as a kind of charitable event in order to get myself to do it. So I didn't make any money. Um, I gave all the money to an organization that really needed the money. That was Uni's Resist Border Controls. And um, obviously it is good to write and sell things and give the money to people who need it, but it was also a little bit of a cover for me to do a scary creative thing in public mm -hmm. um, that I didn't necessarily have the confidence to do mm -hmm. uh, in its own right. Yeah, I know that mechanism well, or that coping, <laughs> working around. It's good. I mean, it is. It's good. I think there could be way more self-destructive things, like just not doing the thing at all, right? So. Oh, yeah, yeah it works. <laughs> and it's great. And good people get the money and confidence gets built. But yeah, I'm not, um, you know, downplaying it. And I think in zine world in particular, you know, we have a lot of these um, collective zines. And the money involved is so small that it's very hard to work out where it should go mm -hmm. um, and how to properly pay collectives for their work and so on. And um, one way out, which I wouldn't necessarily advocate as the best way out, but one way out is to just give all the money away, which mm -hmm. is what we tend to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, this also kind of brings me to my next question. I'm wondering how you're feeling or how, how has that feeling maybe evolved over the years of being seen in this, in this creative and more personal way? And how is that different from social media maybe? Is it, is it different to go to a zine fair, for example, and share your work there or having it be seen on social media? Mm, that's such a good question. I think um, it's difficult for me to say because I haven't shared a lot of work on social media. Um, but for me, the zine form was absolutely essential to my feeling safe enough to share my artistic work, including details of my personal life, because it is a small distribution, you know. Um, thousands of people can see an Instagram post, but if you're really lucky, a hundred people might buy your scene. Um, and they've all gone to the effort of sending you a pound or however much, and you've gone to the effort of putting it in an envelope and send it, sending it to them. And if you see their name and you don't want to send it to them, you don't have to. So I think there's something that feels really safe in that, you know? Um, it's a, a limited and specific way of sharing. It's not completely within your control because you can't always control who buys and reads the zine. And of course, someone can pass it on. Um, so there's this little, little edge of risk and excitement. Um, that maybe that sounds a bit contradictory, but yeah, it's the distribution is so central to what it means to, to write a zine and what it enables you to do. Um, and at the moment, I'm working on this trans kink zine in collaboration with um, Finch, who runs um, Below the Belt, a trans kink wear company, and also Sabira Joy, who's a performance artist. Um, and we just had a big discussion about whether we were going to make an electronic copy, and we agreed that having physical copies only was a way of protecting 
you know, the people who've shared their trans kink stories with us. Um, yeah, what do you think? You've posted a lot on social media in the past and made zines. What's your experience of the contrast? Yeah, interesting question. Um, I feel the same. I think there's something sacred about making something physical in the world and posting it to people. I don't have the same control over my book, for example, than I would have had when someone buys a zine from me. Mm. Um, you know, because I don't see the name, they can buy the book anywhere. Um, and they can pass it on, like you said. But I think um, I think I'm just really, really detached from the fact that anyone is reading or listening, you know? I think I'm imagining this one person that's listening and reading my things. And I do get feedback, but that feels very abstract and not about me. And that's how I make this work. So I don't think that this is a good or the right way. But that's just how it works for me. And I get very confused when when real life friends ask me about something that I've shared. <laughs> it's just it's just very overwhelming and unpleasant. So, <laughs> so I will bear that in mind. <laughs> um, because it just kind of, you know, it brings into question this this structure I've built around myself and my work where these two different worlds don't overlap and then someone comes along and it's like hey this thing that you said on the podcast the other day is that really how you feel I'm like oh my god no <laughs> this is not how this works um, yeah but I love the thought of um being seen in some ways in a way that's relatable to people I think that's and I think that's similar to what you said in the beginning about making it about something that isn't really about you like giving the money away or supporting a cause or something I think that that I can do, you know? Yeah, I think different people understand kind of art and culture in different ways. And I think, so for example, I haven't yet let my mum read my zines. She knows I make them and she's always asking to read them and I always say no. And I think my biggest worry is that um, she will take them as my total and factual narrative of my life you know, and she'll say, you know, do you really feel like this, you know, if I say that something difficult happened in my childhood, for example, she will see that as my only understanding of that, as blaming her, or she'll think it's factually inaccurate and challenge me, you know, whereas um, I hope that most readers appreciate that's like just the way that I've constructed this particular piece of writing, right, and it is true and honest in the sense that it captures feelings and events, but there's always more than one way to do that. So oh, yeah. I think, you know, when people respond to your podcast or your your zine or whatever, it's weird, isn't it? Because they are seeing a thing you've made, but also it's a thing you've made with a particular purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think stories change over time. I relate so much to what you were saying. I would never let my family read or listen <laughs> to my things. And I'm really glad that most of them don't really speak English. So there's an, another barrier there, which is really great. Um, but, oh God, I've been in therapy for the past nine months. And then some of the narratives have changed so much. And I'm so glad that I get to keep some of them really to myself. And also that I get to share them in a way that's fluid and that people understand things can change and that's okay and it's part of the process yeah my mum did ask if she could listen to this podcast so now oh. I have a like <laughs> extra layer of dilemma around that <laughs> sorry mum if I have let you listen to this in the future I don't yet know if I will um, yeah. I just wanted to say sorry mm -hmm. just before we move on um 
that in relationship to the small circulation of zines, I also feel there's something about butchness, which is one of the things that I write about, which isn't, or often isn't, particularly ready for or tending towards uh, big emotional shares in public and is quite kind of protective about um, feelings and experiences and so on, often has maybe a bit of a shell. And I think there's something about zines that have enabled me to express that particular experience because they're so kind of, you know, they're physically contained almost. And mm -hmm. that feels like a smaller way to, to do that sharing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you ever imagine how people receive or read them? You know, when when you find it hard to maybe share a thought or an experience in, in a different way, do you imagine that people read your zines and then see this part of yourself that you found different or hard to share in another way? Well, you know, it's funny because people react in such strange ways. Um, so I guess I have two zines that are, provide quite a good contrast. One of them is called Wank, a stone butch glossary. And it's kind of about, I guess, sort of sexual dysfunction and fucked upness expressed through a wank. Um, and I would say that's probably the most exposing sharing zine that I have written. Nobody ever really mentions it. It sells, <laughs> it sells a lot. Um, and every now and again, someone tells me that was really well written. Um, but no one has ever said anything to me about the content. Really? Um, yeah, it's very bizarre. And I thought at the time that was just how it went when you wrote a zine, you know. Um, but I've since written Boy Tits, um, which is a little more celebratory, a little more optimistic, still a bit fucked up, um, and about, well, boy tits, and boy with an eye. And um, people send me emails from all over the world on a daily basis to talk about the contents. They send me um, stories about their chests, stories about things that they did while having a chest, stories about how the zine made them feel, etc. cetera. Um, so there's something clearly about reading boy tits that is very different <laughs> to reading wank um I don't know what to what to make of it to be honest interesting okay yeah um hmm. it brings me beautifully to my next question which is um what does the bitch archive mean to you I would love to hear more about that and how it first came to be and how you see it in the future maybe hmm so um in order for this to make the most sense, it might make sense for people to go and check it out. Um, it is at butcharchive.com. Um, what it is, is essentially a website with a bunch of different categories and a bunch of different objects in relating to butch culture. Um, it's part archive, part sort of curated exhibition in that, it's very personal. The categories are not intended to be like all encompassing. So they're things that like um, fat liberation, DIY culture, um, resistance, 
technologies, trans liberation, things that are important to me specifically in my own butchness, um, rather than trying to create a universal um, butchness. And the items are selected to go in those categories specifically. So it's not all of butchness ever, although people do write to me all the time and ask me, why isn't this one specific butch item in the archive? Um, and gosh, it's so many things to me. I put it together through the very first lockdown. I was very depressed and I couldn't write. Um, and I had been unable to write <laughs> about this one specific thing, butch culture, long before I'd become depressed. So it was a sort of confounding inability to write. And um, I just couldn't do it. I kept starting to try and bring all these items of butch culture into the story that I wanted to tell. And I just couldn't seem to make it an essay or a zine. Um, and I really couldn't do it when I was depressed. But I kept kind of accumulating butch items and then feelings about those items and looking for butch items and not finding them and then having feelings about not finding them. So what I did was um, make this archive and it was particularly good to do it in lockdown because loads of butch culture is out of print and hard to get a hold of, but other archives and libraries were making things available for free in that sort of early free online archive. Um, lockdown frenzy that we all had um, and so I was able to direct people to free stuff at a moment when maybe we all needed some comfort and or connection with queer culture mm -hmm. um yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no that's that's great Thank I mean you. it means so many things Yarrow <laughs> I could keep telling you but I'll, I'll stop there Okay, okay. I miss the generosity of that time a little bit, this kind of opening. It was really overwhelming and everyone did so many different things and suddenly everything was digitally available. But I think there's also the kindness, I guess, and the generosity that I miss a little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah, we completely, we just, we just stopped. Baff mm. Completely baffling. Mm. Yeah, it is. Anyway, um, this is a very casual question. What do you love and hate about butch culture? That's such a hard question. So I think I'm going to start with the hate. Okay. Um, I don't know why I find it easier to answer that question. Um, I hate the narrowness of butch culture. I think that a very specific set of images dominates butch culture. One of them is the kind of working class butch in 1950s America who um, went to bars, was in relationships, in like butch femme relationships, um, and only really existed at a very specific point in time in very specific locations in America, but is sort of still looked to as butchness. And um, those are the kind of butches that you see in Leslie Feinberg's Stone Butch Blues. If people haven't read it, you should. It's free and on their website. Um, and 
this is butch heritage, but it's not the whole of butchness. And it seems sort of far away from 2021 in Edinburgh in Scotland. Um, so that's one image. And then I think another image, which is probably what would come up on Instagram, um, if you searched for butch, is someone very white, skinny in their early 20s, androgynous looking, um, and so on. Sort of like a masculine supermodel, perhaps. Um, a masculine female supermodel. And these images, the, the archive really reflects this, you know, to fill some of the categories that I'm interested in, like fat liberation, um, I've really had to bring in a lot of things that might not be categorized as butch conventionally. Um, and I guess I would say politically, there's two kind of limits of this narrowness of butch culture. One is that um, butch trans women are still not often thought of when many um people put together butch culture think of butch culture organize a butch panel etc um and also um i really think we haven't reckoned with the whiteness of the history of butch um there are butches of color there are also studs um boys aggressives other queer masculine genders and you know i wonder about how butch relates to those other categories and why butch is more often centered in discussions of queer masculinity. Um, so yeah, those are some of the things I hate about butch culture <laughs> and some of the things I'm trying to change. Um, butch culture, it's very hard to assimilate butch culture and I really love that. Like there have been some efforts, for example, a recent article by the New York Times but generally speaking, butchers are not like fetishized or commodified by the mainstream. Um, you know, they're seen as sort of ugly and uninteresting. And I love that. I don't want to be interesting <laughs> to the mainstream. I don't want to be attractive to men. Um, you know, butchers are so often like outside the state in a variety of different ways. You know, historically have been very active in anti-police demonstrations have also been victims of police violence that sort of thing so yeah there's this real sort of outsider resistance dimension of butchness that I love and I see reflected in butch culture mm -hmm. thank you um I wonder how your queer imagination has changed over the years or when maybe at maybe the childhood memories where you first remembered even coming across the concept of butchness and maybe that's relating to archiving in some way right because we have um before the internet you and I were teenagers partially I think before the internet is that right for you I I was on the internet at 13 but I definitely wasn't on the queer internet okay <laughs> okay um so yeah tell me more how has your queer imagination changed over the years and how is that maybe related to archiving work what do you mean by queer imagination? I'm thinking a lot about, okay, wait, I, I think I have to go way back here and this is yeah. embarrassing, but that is okay. I think I'm interested in how our relationship to youth culture has changed through lockdown because I'm, and this is maybe really far out 
for some of us that's okay but I feel I have been really keen on watching a lot of teenage related stuff like Dawson's Creek or I mean that is really sadly the main example that comes to mind right now (laughs) Um, which is probably telling and and this is really something that I was watching with my best friend at school when I was 13 and so she lives in a different country anyway it doesn't matter we've been thinking and speaking a lot about watching while watching the series together and we did watch it at the time together as well on actual tvs in our teenage bedrooms and so I've been thinking back so much at that time of my life and about how I was imagining grew up life to be and how I first came across even the idea of having an identity that I could shape and make something that works for me and that could be part of something else that I hadn't seen before. Um, and in some ways, obviously, that was exciting and healing and full of possibility. And in some ways, that's been really disappointing and difficult and complex and not what I had imagined. And yeah. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, firstly, it's amazing that you're re-watching this series with someone you watched it with as a teenager. And this, by the way, would make a great zine. Um, like, you must be having so many thoughts about how things are different. Oh, yeah. Um, which some, some of which I guess you're describing to me now. And also, when you were watching Dawson's Creek then, those were adults playing teenagers. And now they're, you know, they're 20-year-olds, right? Now they're much younger than us Mm -hmm. yeah um so yeah that's wow you must be having so many feelings I don't think I could even cope with that many feelings um okay so um I think I have a really specific and also somewhat embarrassing story of queerness in that I was very invested when I was younger in being cool and in a in a sort of cool that that was attached to like um being different so yeah like various forms of subcultures and countercultures I was a goth um then I was a queer anarchist oh I was a Marxist for a while you know and um I honestly don't think I fully grasped what queerness meant even as I was already in queer culture um and was, you know, organizing events, being a leader in various ways, you know, was out and proud. But I think a lot of that was just a performance of coolness in queer culture. And I think um, I still held myself to like very rigid heterosexual standards of beauty, attractiveness, lifestyle, etc. cetera. Um, and I think I'm only now really coming to realize that a queer imagination is, you know, truly detaching from some of those things. And that that actually takes a lot of loss. Like you've got to give up all the privilege of coolness and heterosexuality. Um, And I think, and that's, yeah, that's been a like a grieving process and a risk-taking process for me. And I think the zines have been a little bit about saying, okay, I'm, I'm giving up the privilege of not having a zine out in the world that says I'm sexually dysfunctional, you know? Um, Sorry, I keep saying dysfunctional. That's a shit word, Um, but whatever. Um, So I'm giving up the privilege of not having a zine out in the world that says I'm butch, you know, I'm, yeah, and that's, that's, that's hard. And I think it's something I've really come to late, came to later rather than earlier. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you have an imagination for your for your future? Oh gosh. Um No, but I'm really enjoying aging. Mm -hmm, I too. and I'm really looking forward to more of it. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. I think there's something kind of queer about aging because it's for me personally I know this isn't the same for everyone especially for a lot of cis women but for me I find aging is a process very much outside of other narratives of the body that I have contended with mm -hmm. and it's just really nice to have something happen to my body that's not fraught emotionally fraught again I know that's not true for everyone but mm -hmm. for me I'm like oh my god there's a wrinkle you know <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, and it's not some, yeah, you know, some of the things that I've been destroyed about in the past have been things like getting fatter and thinner or, or fitter or less fit or um, more or less able bodied or um, more or less red in a certain way. But yeah, a wrinkle is just a wrinkle. It's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell us which of your zines you loved writing the most or maybe you loved sharing the most? Okay, so um, I think I loved writing. I love, okay, I'm going to say two zines. One of them is Boy Tits and sharing it has just been such a phenomenal experience because so many people have got in touch to say it's meaningful for them and um there's so many people out there struggling with feelings about their chest and it it tries to like celebrate chests and also hold the difficulties of having one for some people and it's covered in navy blue glitter um which is both butch and fabulous and yeah it's just been cool to do something that people feel good about you know maybe that that's actually your whole job Yarrow now that I think about it um but I don't <laughs> often get to do that for people <laughs> yeah um yeah okay that's, yeah mm, thank you and um before you go can you tell us a bit more about this other part of your life in academia and how zine making maybe helps you recover from that when you need recovering? So I'm also an academic um, where my zines are very personal and sometimes hilarious. Um, my academic life is very serious and um, about, well, I do two things as an academic. One, I um, help coordinate a program for students taking so-called non-traditional routes into the university. So uh, people who are the first in their family to go to university, students with disabilities, students of color, students from working class neighborhoods, older students, students, et cetera. That is wildly fun. And the second thing I do is write and research about um, colonialism, British, British colonialism specifically. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of offices involved. There are meetings, there are hierarchies, um, there are careers, there are, you know, horrific job cuts and so on. And um, it's a very coercive environment, the university. Um, and with regards to writing specifically, 
it's so disempowering, I cannot tell you. So you basically, you're writing for a journal or a publisher. You have to write something that is interesting to them. You have to write in the language that is relevant to them. You have to make arguments that are convincing to them. You have to do this to keep your job and um, you're rewarded more for writing for more conservative publishers. It's just, so you send them the thing, they send it back saying how to do it better. You send it back, they send it back saying how to do it better. It's just, there's no control basically over what you do. You're not encouraged to have an original um, creative thought or express it in an original creative way. And you're not encouraged to take ownership over the process. So, um, yeah, writing a zine is completely the opposite. You have total control over everything. And even the paper and the cover. In academia, we don't believe that covers matter. We put, you know, hardbacks on things, ugly hardbacks on things, charge 80 pounds for them, um, aka make sure no one will ever read or buy or enjoy them. But in zine life, I can choose to put maybe blue glitter on something. <laughs> and um, I can say, this is good enough, it's ready to go. And I can say, I do want feedback and I'm gonna choose the people whose feedback I value, um, who will help me shape the project. Um, mm. And honestly, I think, I don't think my creative self would, would have survived. It didn't survive academia for many years. And I think the zines have been a huge part of reclaiming um, my sense of agency and not just like when it comes to writing but um, you know academia teaches me I, I don't even I shouldn't even get to be the boss of what I wear in the morning you know mm. um, everything should be determined by the system the zine is like no you do what you want to do yes mm -hmm. I, I was yeah I was blown away by the by the the, the cover is not mattering that's intense isn't it it's, it's completely wild yeah. yeah and you know you're taught to write in this really inaccessible language um mm. yeah it's 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 so weird it's hidden behind a paywall mm. it's it's just really not about communication mm -hmm. yeah that's true I'm so excited that you um that you are writing things again and that I think is such a gift to the world. I always I'm sorry, I'm always saying cheesy things at the end. That's yeah, I should have wanted. <laughs> I I you know, I I <laughs> am, was prepared. Thank okay. you for saying cheesy things. <laughs> no, Dassi, really, thank you so much for sharing everything that you have shared today. I feel more hopeful than I did this morning and um, so a rejuvenated, a rejuvenated excitement about zines and creativity and finding our own spaces and making stamps and giving each other permission that's so good and I'm so excited to share that so um, where can people find you and buy your zines and I think you also have a cool thing coming up that people can attend if they want to Yes. So um, the best place to find us is at Easter Road Press. That's E-A-S-T-E-R-R-O-A-D-P-R-E-S-S. -E -E um, that's on Instagram. We do have a Facebook account, but we don't really use it. It's the same. 
Um, and then through our, you know, our link in our bio on Instagram, you can find our shop. Um, it's not the best stocked at the moment, but it will be more stocked <laughs> over the coming days. Um, and you can also find a link to our website, which is just easterroadpress.com. Um, the exciting event which is coming up is part of Glasgow Zine Fest, which is something else you could check out, which is running for the month of April, doing loads of cool stuff. Um, it's just a really amazing zine fest um, in terms of what it does and how it does it. Um, I think they're Glasgow Zine Library on Instagram. Um, and I am doing the closing event for the fest, which will be an evening in the Butch Archive, where I will talk a bit about the project. Um, it will only be a little bit of me talking and hopefully um, quite a bit of interaction. I want to run an interactive tour of the archive um, and just talk about, you know, butch culture and DIY archiving um, with some cool people in general. That event is um, a sliding scale starting at zero. Um, it's also audio described, live captioned and BSL interpreted, which I am very excited about. Me too. I'll be there. Thank you so much, Darcy. I'll link to that in the show notes as well, in case people didn't catch that. And again, thank you so much. Thank you. What a joy. <laughs>